Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. So I recently finished The Screaming Staircase by Jonathan Stroud, which is the first book in the Lockwood and Co. series. I think I will probably talk about it on this podcast eventually. Um, it was really good. Uh, and it just really emphasized for me how good the Netflix adaptation of it was. Like, really good. So yeah, if you want like a fun middle grade kind of kids hunting ghosts story, give that one a try. We're going to spend a little more time on a different book. This time I'm talking about A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. It's our girl Ursula. Here is the summary. Ged was the greatest sorcerer in Earthsea, but in his youth he was the reckless Sparrowhawk. In his hunger for power and knowledge, he tampered with long-held secrets and loosed a terrible shadow upon the world. This is the tumultuous tale of his testing, how he mastered the mighty words of power, tamed an ancient dragon, and crossed death's threshold to restore the balance. A Wizard of Earthsea was published in 1968. It won the Boston Globe Horn Book Award for Fiction in 1969 and the Lewis Carroll Shelf Award in 1979, and in 2020, it made it onto Time's list of 100 best fantasy books of all time. I'm including a link to the Time's 100 best fantasy books of all time list, because I think that's cool, uh, and this is a reminder to myself that I want to look at it and see how many of the books on the list that I've read. Uh, our author, Ursula K. Le Guin, was born in 1929. Over her lifetime of writing, she wrote over 20 novels, as well as collections of short stories, poetry, and she even translated some books. She died in 2018 in Portland, Oregon. This is my second Le Guin book I've covered on this podcast. I did an episode on the telling a little while ago. With A Wizard of Earthsea, we go back to almost the beginning of Le Guin's career. The first Earthsea book, which is this book, by the way, and the telling were published 32 years apart. I personally find it fun to go back to an author's early works to see how they've changed and developed their writing over time. And Le Guin wrote for over 50 years, so that's a wide range of possible variety and change. And, you know, there are some authors whose early works are, shall we say, unpolished. But honestly, while A Wizard of Earthsea is very stylistically different from the telling and other works of hers, it's really good. I don't think I have ever read a Le Guin book that I did not like. And as I was reading this one, I just kept comparing the writing to poetry. It felt like reading, it was just so easy to read with like, the cadence and the flow. Um, and I'm just going to read you the first 
paragraph of this book just to kind of give you an idea um, what it was like. The Island of Gaunt, a single mountain that lifts its peak a mile above the storm-wracked northeast sea, is a land famous for wizards. From the towns in its high valleys and the ports on its dark, narrow bays, many a Gauntishman has gone forth to serve the lords of the archipelago in their cities as wizard or mage, or, looking for adventure, to wander working magic from isle to isle of all earth-sea. Of these, some say the greatest, and surely the greatest voyager, was the man called Sparrowhawk, who in his day became both dragon-lord and archmage. His life is told of in the deed of Ged and in many songs, but this is the tale of the time before his fame, before the songs were made. Now, I haven't actually listened to the audiobook versions of these. I just think that they would be amazing as audiobooks. There is a fairy tale sense and style to this whole book, not just the omniscient narrator that we have who's telling us these things about Sparrowhawk's future and also like the past of various characters we run into and just history of the world that the characters themselves don't know, but the narrator does. Um, there are also events happening in threes. True names are very important. And there's dragons. Not to mention that our main character, Sparrowhawk, actually normally called Ged, is a seventh son. These are all important things. And each chapter almost works as a standalone adventure, which lends itself to the fairy tale vibes. And it's a short book. It's max 200 pages. Now, when you start a book, as this one does, with a note about how impressive and famous the main character will be, will eventually become, that can either be really annoying, as it was in Nevernight, or it can be well done and give a sense of scope and scale to the story. Um, which it does here. Like, I don't mind it at all in this book where I found it unbearably annoying in Nevernight. And I just want to put it out there before I go any further into this book. Uh, this episode is going to test me on the pronunciation of the word arch... Mm, I'm pretty sure it's archipelago. 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 Archie. <laughs> okay. Um, I forgot what I was doing. Uh, Earthsea, as one might imagine, is a fantasy world where most of the planet is covered by the sea. People live in one area, the Ar Archipelago, the Archipelago, which is a group of islands, and beyond the Archipelago, Oh boy. Archipelago, as far as anyone knows, is nothing but the sea. So our story begins, as you heard, on the Isle of Gaunt, which is famous, as you heard, 
for its wizards. A boy grows up there, as boys are wont to do. He is apprenticed to the local hedge witch and has more power, pride, and thirst for knowledge than sense. One day his name will be Ged and his common name will be Sparrowhawk. And this, this idea is not unique to a wizard of Earthsea by any means. The, the idea that people and things and the world itself have true names. Names that reveal who they are and give you power over them. This is a theme in many, many stories. Names have power. To know the true name of a person or a place gives you power over them. The kind of magic Ged learns is tied to names. A wizard can use the true name of an animal to call it and control it, or the true name of the wind to calm a storm. A person must be very careful with their true name and a wizard doubly so. While Ged is young and still mostly untrained, his village is attacked by invaders from another island. He saves his little village by using his power to call down a great fog to hide them and confuse the invaders. Word of this spreads across Gaunt, and a wizard comes to take Ged as an apprentice. If only all job searches were this easy. <laughs> Ged, eager to learn, goes with the wizard Ogion. Ogion. There's no pronunciation guide. Ursula Le Guin is not gonna tell you anything more than she has to. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna guess Ogion. How would you pronounce it? O-G-I-O-N. Ogion. Mm, I like Ogion better. So... What was I saying? Ged is eager to learn and he goes with his wizard. But Ogion is the slow and steady sort. His teaching is quiet and understated, drawing Ged slowly and above all carefully into learning and knowledge. Ged finds this unbearable. He wants to know everything and he wants to know it now. Thanks to his impatience and impetuousness, a sorceress is able to manipulate him into trying to summon the dead. It really only takes just like the slightest implication that he isn't actually powerful or that he's scared of something to make Ged do something incredibly stupid. Um... And so he does this summoning, and something emerges, drawn by Ged's power, the shadow of something that may one day be his doom. But thanks to the timely intervention of Ogion, the shadow is not fully unleashed. After this, Ogion offers Ged a choice. Ged can stay on Gaunt and learn the slow, careful method of magic that Ogion prefers and is probably safer and would be good for Ged to learn. Or he can go to the island of Roke, where the archmage of the archipelago, I said it wrong that time for sure, is and where there is a school for young wizard wannabes. Ged even after his brush with the shadow, is impatient 
and eager to learn more, so he bids goodbye to Ogeon and the island of his birth and goes to Roke. On Roke, Ged is finally learning quicker, uh, and he is one of the brightest students, but again, it's never enough, and it's never fast enough. He is constantly trying to find new information, new spells that will bring him more power, and is also constantly trying to prove himself. With the benefit of the distant narrator, the reader knows that most of the insults Ged hears and takes offense at are mostly due to a little phenomenon called Ged is taking the worst possible interpretation of what someone says and taking it to heart. Uh, To see an example of this, I suggest an experiment you can do from home. It's called post literally any opinion on the internet and see what people say. Um, (laughs) So Ged is easily offended. He's hot-tempered. He's also extremely proud. And his pride and quick temper lead him once again to try the summoning of the dead. We didn't learn anything last time. This time, without the timely intervention, and at this point, Ged knows more and has more power, this time the nameless shadow is unleashed and Ged nearly dies. And I specifically call attention to the namelessness of the shadow. If you can't name something, if it has no true name, it can't be defeated. It can't even be understood. The general accepted knowledge is that everything in the world has a name. The shadow, as far as they know, is something else entirely. The shadow does not linger on Roke. Uh, Roke is one of the most magically well-protected islands in the archipelago, as one might imagine, because it's where Wizard University is, Wizard School is. So Ged is able to recover in safety. He recovers slowly and after healing, and this experience where he nearly died thanks to his quick temper and rashness, he has changed finally. He has grown into someone who is not so eager to have power and control as he once was. He's more careful and considerate. He knows that beyond the magically protected borders of Roke, the shadow waits for him. And once he has earned his wizard staff, Ged must go out beyond the magical protection of the island, out into the world where the shadow waits Afraid now, a far more cautious man than he once was, Ged flees across the land and sea, running from the shadow at his heels. His flight takes him to the home of dragons, to a distant place built around a great evil, and finally back to the little island of Gaunt and his old teacher, Ogeon. Though he is a full wizard now, there is much still for Ged to learn from his old teacher. Among those things is this. There's nowhere he can hide from the shadow that pursues him. He can spend the rest of his life running and hope the shadow never catches him. Or he can turn and face the thing that hunts him. 
and scares him and that he brought to life. Obviously, he goes and does that. It wouldn't be much of a story if we didn't face what scares us. He takes a dear friend with him, and together they sail beyond the known borders of their world to discover the name of the shadow. It's very good. Um, And it's a well-told story that can make you fear for the protagonist, even though it begins with telling you about all the great adventures he will go on in the rest of his life. I really, really liked this one, and I've already read the next book, The Tombs of Atuan. There's an afterword from Le Guin in that book where she talks about how she never planned to write more in Earthsea. She added the lines about the tomb of Atuan and the ring of Aerith Akbe without thinking any more about it and what it might mean. It was just like a little extra flavor. Only later did she decide to explore further into Earthsea and specifically to tell a story about women and the power that women can wield in a time when there were very few fantasy books with female protagonists. Also, I would have to do more research to speak with any real confidence on this, but I feel like a lot of Le Guin's writing was very tied to how she saw the world and dynamics work in our world. So for her, she would never write Back then, she would have never written a story about a woman going to wizard school because that was not a narrative she could see playing out in the world. What she does with the Tombs of Atuan is very interesting um, and definitely worth a read. And especially if you get a version that has like reading notes from her at the end. Every time I read something that Le Guin writes about her own writing, it just like peels back layers and lets me see more. Uh, I think it's very cool. (laughs) Um, And like I said, these are very good, and I am looking forward to reading the rest of the series. I'm getting them on audiobooks next because I think they will be awesome as audiobooks. If you want more media like this, uh, read some fairy tales. Also, I would suggest Chalice by Robin McKinley. And maybe some more, just generally, a lot of Robin McKinley. Join me next time to hear about Legendborn by Tracy Dion. As always, you can contact me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it, or just share it with a friend. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast or at BacklogBooks.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at JosephMcDade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope to talk with you again soon. Archipelago, archipelago, right? Archipelago, 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 surely.
Archipelago. Archipelago. They also say archipelago. Archipelago. See, she knows what she's talking about. 